my wife came home and found me in the pond with my one-year-old daughter. And I guess my explanation was she was helping me clean it. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. I'm here with Ben Fisher today, who has got a lot of uh, a lot of really cool projects uh, in the recovery community and space that we're going to get into today. But first, I want to thank you for thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Music is a big part of your life. Yep. Which we'll get into and making guitars and all this really cool stuff and this big project that you're working on uh, called A String of Hope, which is a, a video project. So th those are all things on tap, but I want to start with you kind of just interweaving your way through through your story and uh, how things were and how everything kind of came to a head. And Yeah, I, I can try to give you my story best I can. I was drunk for most of it, so it's <laughs> a little you. blurry. Um, you know, growing up was great. I guess I can probably start right around six years old. Uh, I saw Jimi Hendrix on the TV uh, playing the Star Spangled Banner uh, at Woodstock. It was upside down guitar. Yeah, yeah, and I, uh, you know, I I knew at that moment that that's what I wanted to be. Um, so kind of music started early, and you can uh, you can imagine the pain I felt when I realized I was going to be white for the rest of my life, <laughs> and uh, with probably you know fifty percent less charisma than he had. But, uh, yeah, so I got my first guitar when I was seven uh, because of that. And, you know, immediately you know, kind of just honed in on this idea of, uh, you know, this rock star mentality and everything that came with that rock star life. So fast forward a little bit and uh, maybe 10, 11 years old. I remember my parents were having a party and... Uh, Somehow I was offered a beer. I think it was my dad even said, you want, you want to try a beer? And I'm like, well, yeah, sure. I remember having my guitar in my hand too at this time. I was playing for the people at the party. Right. And I take a drink, just a little sip of it, and I start to set it down. And, and somebody at the party was like, no, you got you to gotta take a real drink. So I chugged the beer. You start it, you got to finish it. Yeah, I chugged like it. Like anything. <laughs> and uh, immediately it, it hit me like uh, just a wave of this is – all that is right in the world. Yeah. I just, I remember that feeling like, you know, having my guitar in my hand and that buzz hits you for the first time. Uh, so that really has kind of set up the rest of, you know, my story up until I got sober. Um, so throughout high school, uh, obviously I was drinking and, and, you know, with, you know, with drinking comes, everything else, you know, I wouldn't turn down drugs, you know. Um, I worked at a skyline and the booze just flowed freely. Uh, you know, skyline chili, skyline chili. Yeah. And I, it's funny cause I would leave the skyline. I, I, I was the dishwasher there. I would leave there and I would drive up the street to a gold star that was up the street and they would serve me beer at the gold star after I got off. Uh, and you know, this is me, you know, 16 years old high school do they serve 
do they serve booze at those? I mean, they, I know, they, they did they at this Gold oh, Star. They, not all of them. Not okay. all of them. There were there were maybe two, um, but yeah, this one they did. It's not there anymore. Okay. Um, they they toppled that over. It's it's over Kings Mills area. I don't okay. Know if we want to talk about locations, yeah. but um, so yeah, that 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 was my high school time. And meanwhile, I'm. You know, I'm going to a vocational school. I ended up going to Scarlet Oaks, and I was learning how to do video stuff there. Um, I probably was spending less time learning and more time talking about what we were going to be doing after school. But, yeah, I did that. Um, ended up going to college in Florida, a place uh, called Full Sail. Went for recording arts there. And, um, you know, the school was all it was arts based you know it was film students game design students and you know recording arts and live sound so there was this like perpetual fog of marijuana smoke just around this school so really yeah, and th- th- sorry is this college this is college yeah. okay yeah i'm kind of i'm, I'm no no you're good no, right no, no you're good so yeah that that uh that was <laughs> I really learned how to smoke weed in college and it was, it was really good weed too. These guys were driving down to Miami and getting it straight from Cuba. It was, it was good pot. Yeah. So we, uh, I did that through college, came back home. Um, and I quit smoking pot because, you know, it just wasn't that good in Ohio. So, but my drinking continued. Um, and and I did a lot of other things. I'm skipping over a lot here. We can, I can tell you little nuggets if you want, but I'm just going to give you the, the, the quick and dirty. Um, so I come back home after college and eventually I get a job as a music director at a church. So I do that for eight years and I'm, I'm living this kind of double life where I'm the worship leader on Sunday mornings and then I'm the rock star uh, alcoholic at night. Um, did you have a hard time reconciling that? I mean, not at first. No. Um, it started to, uh, it started to become a problem later. You know, uh, I, I really held it together quite well and I hid my problem really well, um, from everybody. Uh, so, you know, fast forward again through all that and my drinking has progressed to where, you know, everything I do surrounds that idea. Um, you know, I don't want to go anywhere unless I can drink and it's starting to become a problem with my wife. You know, I got married. Um, she, uh, let's see where we're at here. She, she gets pregnant and She's about eight months pregnant. She comes home and finds me passed out um, in my car. And this freaks her out, rightly so. Of course. Um, So she calls somebody at the church that we were friends with that she knew was in recovery. And basically tells them what happened and that we need some help. So that's where I start... um, meeting with my friend Scott and he kind of helps me through that process. So the people we call, they, they tell me that I need to tell the pastor of the church. What, so you're still at this time, you're still doing your Sunday morning deal. 
I still am. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so basically I, you know, I didn't want to, but this person said, you know, you need to bring this up to the pastor of the church. So I do. And two weeks later, I'm getting pushed out of the church because of this. And for eight years of my life, that was, that was who I, you know, who I thought I was, you know, I thought I was this worship leader. So I didn't have that. So my drinking, uh, took a real nosedive at that point. Um, and the blackout started to happen, uh, went into, uh, treatment a couple of times, came out, fell flat on my face a couple of times. And then, um, day before Easter, uh, 2016, you know, my daughter was born, born at this point. She, she was a year old. Um, so we're supposed to go out with my wife's parents that night but my wife had to work that day. So I was in charge of taking care of my daughter. Uh, so I decided to, uh, take a little bit of the edge off while I was watching my daughter. And, um, next thing I know I'm waking up my, waking up at my parents' house the next day. So I completely blacked out and I get told what I did the next day. Um, which, you know, that, that's scary stuff, blacking out. Yeah, that, it's scary stuff blacking out, first of all, but then blacking out when you were taking care of your one-year-old daughter. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about, but I'll, yeah. I'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, everybody's okay. Yeah. I'll start with that. Yeah, sure. Thank God. Um, so I built a, a pond outside of my house, and my wife came home and found me in the pond with my one-year-old daughter. And I guess my explanation was she was helping me clean it. Um, so she proceeds to get us out. She obviously realizes something's not right with me. And uh, we end up still getting in the car and we're supposed to meet down in Eden Park. And, you know, we, we end up going to Eden Park. We meet with her parents and I proceed to uh, tell her mother some really terrible things. Um, sorry, Denise, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> about uh, her, like about her, like yeah, the way I you say, felt. I say some stupid shit. I think we some all stupid do, brother. Shit, like you know, your family doesn't love you. And mm. meanwhile, I'm. I don't remember any of this. This is what I'm getting from my wife the next day. Uh, so yeah, I guess we end up back at their house and my parents come pick me up and then I wake up the next day and that was the last day I drank. Um, that was enough uh, to scare me out of it. You know, What so day was that? Sobriety that was Easter day. That was Easter Sunday, 2016. So kind of a resurrection day for me. Wow, you know? what a, that's yeah, divine intervention. Yeah, a bit. yeah. So, you know, and I, I started realizing that you know, I couldn't stop on my own. So I started going to the meetings and doing all that and doing everything I could. And I stayed with my parents for a while. I wasn't allowed back in the house for a little while, rightly so. Sure. Understandable. And, you know, since then, uh, we've had my son. He's a year and a half old now. My daughter's four years old now. Um, and life's good, you know. Life's so at good. that point on Easter, did you want it? Did you want recovery? Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I knew I didn't want. I knew I didn't want what I had the day before. You know what I mean? That was uh, that was some scary shit. So how was the relationship with your parents? I mean, like throughout this, I mean, you know, your your wife was concerned, and there was some, you know obvious like we all do there's you know there's some issues there because you know it's tense how about do you have siblings i have a sister yeah okay so i mean how was that as things went along the the relationship with with your with your immediate family yeah my parents have always been supportive um you know there's some there's some mental health issues on my dad's side of the family and there's some you know, substance abuse and alcoholic problems on my mom's side of the family. So they they saw the signs, you know, years ago, um, and they saw it ramping up. They, I don't think they really knew how to handle it. And a lot of times it was, this is what you got to do, and you got to do this to fix this, and that didn't work with me. Um, but when push comes to shove, they they were always there. They were always supportive over everything. I always talk about this, but the genetics fascinate me. Yeah. How it, right. I always say it's like Plinko, you know, on the prices, right? I mean, it come, somehow it shakes out and it, it, it affects generations and how it just trickles down and goes to one sibling and not the other, or your aunt had it, your parents did it. You know, it's just, that stuff is just, it's incredible and it is part of it. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. Yeah, I believe it. Um, it so, was helpful. It was helpful that my wife didn't really drink at all. Now, I don't know how some couples do it where somebody's an alcoholic, the other one's not, um, and the other one continues to drink, but the other one's got to be in recovery. I don't know how that works. It's I was fortunate because of that. But it I, also, don't, I don't think that ends well. Normally, normally not. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I can't. Not. I, I was fortunate enough not to not to have that either. But yeah, you hear that, and it's, yeah. I, it's normally not a very good ending. But and so it's a blessing. The whole thing is a blessing to have it happen on Easter. Um, yeah, and um, so were you ostracized from the church? I mean, did this guy shame you? And no, no, no. And I, I don't want that. I don't want it to come off like that. It, I was just curious. Yeah, it was, you know, I thought we were closer friends than what we obviously were. I was, you know, this was a new church start that I was at at this point. You know, I skipped over all that part of my story. Um, You know, I was working at a paid position as a worship leader at another church, and I left that church to help this pastor start this new church start. And, um, you know, when all that happened, it was, you know, within a matter of weeks, I was kind of pushed out and that that's fine you know but i thought maybe there would be some sort of follow-up um relationship that that i'd built with this guy over you know a span of eight years and that wasn't the case it was it was cut off from him but it, it wasn't a if i would were to go back to the church i feel like i would be welcomed but yeah. i'm definitely holding some resentment sure. there's there's resentment in the harbor right uh, of that whole thing yeah. you know it it was just hurtful that, you know, a friendship that I thought I had kind of right. just evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some on his side too. Yeah. Resentment. Absolutely. Because you know? he's got this new church start thing that he's trying to do. And, you know, the worship leader guy that's doing the music all of a sudden is is a liability. You yeah. Know? So 
right? It goes both ways. When you first got into recovery, did you take, did you, did you deal with any depression or anxiety or, you know, the, you know, the, the whole finding out that realizing that you can't ever do it again or just things that you've done or was that part of it? You know, I think that was really a part of the last year of my drinking career, you know, because I'd held it together up until that point. And then when it became a problem, that's when I started hiding, you know, that I was drinking. And when I started to hide it, I was doing, I was drinking incredible amounts really quick. And that's Mm -hmm. when the blackout started to happen. Um, And then, you know, there would be times where I I wasn't able to drink. And that's where like panic attacks would come in. I didn't even know what was happening when I had my first panic attack. Um, I literally thought I was dying, you know, and I remember it vividly. I was in a guitar center with my dad looking at equipment. And I remember just feeling like he called my mom and was like taking my pulse in the store and talking to her and come to find out it was just a panic attack. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, on top of a shitload of alcohol. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's I'm my that it was the same for me with cocaine. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, I was starting to I was starting to lose it, and there would be panic attacks. But yeah, so I mean, I, you know, that, that's I think we all have a common thread uh, yeah. with that when it gets to be just copious amounts and you're sun up to sundown. Uh, let's talk about early recovery. D- did you dive into the twelve step fellowship? Was that kind of your is yeah. That, that was that the thing that you, your vehicle? Yeah. That's the, I mean, it's really the only thing I knew to do. Um, and it's what everybody else I knew that was in recovery did too. Um, and that was terrifying walking into your first meeting. Um, but I had help. I had somebody to hold my hand while, while mm-hmm. I walked in and that was really important for me. Um, you know, I told you I, I did a few stints at the recovery or the treatment centers. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I wanted it and wanted to go mm-hmm. to these meetings. But you know, after your second or third meeting, you start getting the, the hang of it, and it it starts, you know, to feel okay. Um, but again, yeah, it, it was terrifying walking in, and that's you know that's something I are that's something that I don't talk about. We're going to talk about my video series, and yeah. we don't bring AA up. I don't know if we can talk about it here. We are anyways. Yeah. Um, we leave it at like twelve step stuff, you know. Okay. Just okay. Gotcha. So, and I'm not a, I am not a huge AA person. Right. You know, I go, I go sporadically. I should go more, but uh, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, that's it's, what I've heard from people doing this is the the traditions. Yeah, you know, you right. can't talk about yeah. this. You can't talk right. about that. And you know, that's something that that was really important for me at the beginning. I didn't want anybody to know what I was going through. Right. Um, it was important for me to be anonymous and be quiet. But I think for, um, once you get to a certain point, I think we need to talk about it. Hell yes. Openly. Spread the word. Right. You know, so. But I, I mean, I do want to stress that it was important. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really important for people to have that safe place to be able to go and, and, you know, be quiet while they talk about it. You know, but once you get to a point, we gotta, we gotta get loud about it too. Yeah, no doubt. So did music, did music stay a part of your life throughout the bad times and Yeah, so you know, after after I, I quit the music director thing, I stopped playing music. Um and guitar's your thing. Guitar is my thing. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of stopped playing. Um and 
you know, I, I got to talk a little bit about my house and, and I, I built a tiny house. It started as a playhouse for my daughter and it ended up being this monstrosity. Um, but I live in the woods and I had to like clear all the woods out to build this thing. And I, I really got into woodworking. Um, so I did that. And then I met with a family friend. Um, and there, there's so many cool things about, about the people that helped me through and not even knowing that they were helping me, but they were really just kind of molding who I was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met with a family friend and he had dabbled in building guitars and he, he had me come over to help him cut down some trees one day. And, uh, he brings me into his shop and he's like, man, I want to teach you how to build guitars. And I'm like, cool. I got all this extra time on my hands now that I'm, you know, not drinking. So I go over there and, and he, started teaching me how to build guitars and it was like my life just went full circle back to where it it was supposed to be Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, so I started doing that and I started a company doing that. Now it's, it's been two years since I've built my first one. The first one was really shitty. (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's hanging up my wall to, to, you know, help, remind me what yeah. I'm capable of doing, but at the same time, it's not really worth playing. It's hard shit to oh, do. I it's not easy imagine. to I mean, I watch on. your videos and it's just, it's phenomenal that the, as you kind of, you know, you time lapse and piece them together and put all the lacquer and designs on them. Fucking amazing, man. Awesome. Re- really cool stuff. Well, thank you. Thank um, you. and it's, and it's cool. And like you said, you don't know these people are helping you, but they're helping you. They, they come from, somewhere and they get into your life and they they just they guide you where you're supposed to go right it's and that's that's how i feel that when we are we're the lucky ones yeah there's millions of people that don't get the chances that we get right you know and and being loud and talking about it you know i I feel like it's somewhat of our duty yeah to do that and so you went into talk about string of hope yeah string of hope it it was it was kind of born out of that idea when I was learning to build guitars with um, my family friend. His name's Carl. I'll just refer to him as Carl. He uh, he was kind of giving me these life lessons as he was teaching me how to you know do this or that. He was you know coaching me through you know this is what you should do in this moment. Blah blah blah. And I just had this idea came like, well, maybe I can start doing some video stuff of this and like shoot this documentary of my story into sobriety. Um, you know, using the guitar as, as a metaphor through it. So I kept fighting that idea off, uh, but it kept coming back. And eventually I came to the realization that if this could help one person, then I have to do it. So I started that and realized really soon that it was much bigger than my story, um, and much bigger than a single story. And, and, I started collecting these interviews with people, uh, these video interviews with people, and um, it just started to take off um, and become a passion. Yeah, yeah, and it is. You know, I, I tie, I do these little documentary series, little um, you know, ten to fifteen minute shoots with people. It, really, they're an hour long, and I cut it down to ten minutes. But it, it's their story, and you know, that's what helped me is it it was somebody not telling me what i needed to do to to recover it was somebody telling me what they did 
is what really started to click for me. And I think it's clicking for other people, you know, because I get these messages in my oh, inbox I that I can't imagine that you know this person's story really spoke to me, and you know, I, I don't know if they're gonna become sober because of that right away, but I That's know it's got not value. The point. Yes, absolutely. I know it has value for them, and they mm-hmm. can at least get some sort of hope out of it. So. Yeah, I think that's where it's going, you know, the series is going. And, you know, originally it was going to be a, you know, a small series into the final documentary, but it's grown into this thing where I, I just, I have endless stories to tell now. People keep... How many know, have you done? Is we're releasing the fifth episode this Monday coming up. Um, and, you know, this this episode has quite a bit of my own story in it. It's the story of my friend Scott, which is the one that, you know, my wife made the phone call to at the church, but he, he's a, uh, he's got like 30 plus years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff to add, but I can't tell his story without telling a little bit of mine, Sure, you know, cause there, and I'll, I'll let you watch it, but there's some cool stuff that happens, you know, even with his son, his son was having some issues and now his son's working in the shop with me and learning how to build guitars. So it's just this really cool circle, you know, of, of events that happen. So, yeah. And some of the, I mean, the, the way you do them is so cool with, I mean, you've got tons of effects and we were talking earlier about, uh, you know, just, it's not just a straight interview. There's, right. you know, you know the video of you making a guitar and then there's a, b- a bunch of old time kind of graphics and uh <laughs> i wouldn't call them cartoons but like there's some j- yeah. yeah just old videos of you know people rolling joints back in the 50s and <laughs> you know 40s and, and it's just really cool well i just i wanted it to be interesting for people you know it's uh our attention spans are really short nowadays i know mine is so i i get bored real easy mm-hmm. so anything i can throw in there to uh keep people engaged and really listen and pay attention to what these people are saying um anything i can do to do that right. how's it being received i mean is it getting traction you feel i think so um you know it's got a lot of views on uh you know on youtube which youtube views are hard to get you know people don't want to click off of facebook to go somewhere else uh, but yeah, it's, it's gaining some traction on Facebook and really with, uh, you know, the community that I'm friends with on Facebook, I, I have a lot of, of, uh, you know, positive reinforcement coming from my friends. Um, so I, I hope it does, you know, cause I know oh, it that will. I know that it people, is and it will. Yeah. You know, I know the people that are in my inbox that are messaging me that they're getting hope from it. So I know that there's other people that maybe aren't comfortable with, you know, reaching out to tell me that they're getting some from it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so. I'm going to keep you, doing it. Are you, is your grand plan to keep churning these things out? I mean, you still have the energy to, to interview a, y- yeah. a, a slew of people and see this thing as 20, 30, 40 videos. I, I mean, think it'd be the... more, I think it'd be more than that. Yeah. I think it's going to keep going for, yeah. for years. How to many come. are you doing like a couple of months? Are you just kind of. Well, I, right now I have so many that they're going to come out every two weeks okay. because that's how fast I can turn them out. That's how fast I can edit the videos to get them out. Um, but yeah, they're going to keep going. Um, our plan is to uh, start a nonprofit. We're going to do a little push here in a couple of weeks to get some funding to, to get some money for the startup costs for that, for the filings with the state. 
Um, and my, my long-term goal with this is to actually either, um, is to open a facility where I can teach people how to do woodworking and teach people how to build guitars, uh, people in recovery. I think that would be neat. It sounds crazy because like you're given, you know, people with substance abuse disorders, you know, sharp saws and chisels and stuff. But, you know, the more I think about it, the more it seems like it's a possibility. You um, give people an opportunity to do something they love, they love to do, or may find out that they love it after afterwards. And yeah, I mean, I think all those worries are natural, but who knows, man, you could have an academy, a guitar academy or something, you know, <laughs> building all these. Speaking of, how many have you, I mean, how, how many of those that? are you doing? How many have you built? What's your, yeah, so uh, how do you spend your time between the two? Uh, that's tough. I, I the guitars kind of get whatever spare time that I, that I have. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working with two clients right now that have, that have paid. It takes me about 160 hours to build a guitar. Does it really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that's moving quick. You know what I mean? My first guitar, I, I don't even know how long it took me because I was building all the jigs and fixturing that it took to build it. Um, but yeah, right around 160 to 200 hours just to build an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, you can get done in about a hundred. Um, I've done a few ukuleles. I built one for my daughter uh, and a couple other clients. Um, so I think I, I've built you know five ukuleles I'm on my sixth guitar, um, and it, well, seventh guitar, including the electric that I built. So still, I'm still uh, you know in the beginning stages of it. But and how long you been doing that? You may have told me, but I forget. Two two years roughly. Yeah. So I'm I'm three and a half years sober. And I started building the guitars about a, a year into that. Um, I started the business uh, maybe six months after that. You know, it was pretty quick. I knew, like, this, I'm going to be doing this. Right. You know what I mean? I, I want to make this a thing. Um, so, yeah. And, and the String of Hope thing just kind of, it, it, they kind of work hand in hand because I'm making these videos of me building the guitars and I'm using them as part of the interviews. The interviews are easy because it's like, hey, man, you want to come over here and let me put a video camera in front of you while you tell your story? And it's amazing how many people are willing to do that. I thought that was going to be hard at first to get people to come tell their story because they're, they're really telling a lot of, you know, sensitive details about their life. And, and that's tough. You know, it's tough for me to sit in here and, and sure. tell some of the stuff that I did, you know, right. and there's a lot more to it yeah. that I'm leaving out. Right. Um, and for a period of time you had a music studio. Yeah. Or early on, I uh, still have it. And okay. I, I use it to do some of the uh, voiceover dubs that I do and some of the music I add on. So, and you know, you're I, not doing, you're not doing what you used to do as far as yeah. running a business through it or yeah i don't do it full time i work with a few clients that i like to work with yeah how many orders of guitars do you have when I mean, you got people lined up to no to not get... lined up because they're really expensive <laughs> oh i can imagine if it takes you i mean you can't churn out too many in a year yeah how many how many figure you could build in a year if you... i if i had to right now because i'm still working a full-time job too yeah if i had to right now i could probably get 12 in a year if i had to you know, one a month. Uh, but that would be like, I mean, are you doing this like after kids go to bed and 
Yeah. I, a lot of times before they wake up, you know, I, I wake up really early when I have to. And that's never been a problem with me. It's and you know, that's funny. That's with the the newest episode coming out. The whole first bit is my morning routine of it's it's easy to wake up first of all when you're not hungover. Oh and it's, gosh, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> Such a good feeling. And it's it's even easier when you're excited about what you're doing. So yeah, when I'm excited about a project, I, I'll just get out of bed. I won't, first of all, I won't go to sleep. I'll just lay there and think about it. So I might as well get out and start doing it. Yeah. So I mean, you find something you love. We're going to do it like we used to drink. Right. You know, I mean, we have one speed, really, no matter what, yeah. it, whether it's productive, not productive. So I'm. I put uh, so much effort into trying to stay drunk, you know, or, <laughs> or yeah. I, so it's like, it was, it, it really was amazing how much time that I had once I stopped drinking, how much time I realized. And, and some of my friends will come over and be like, how do you have time to do this? I mean, there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, I don't make excuses. If I just have an hour to do something, that's an hour that I have to do something. Before, it would be like, well, I only have an hour. I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I'm still stuck in that little bit. <laughs> I'm still stuck in the, the, the lazy. And my wife would be the first one to tell you that. But I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, but the the life of a drug addict or an alcoholic is time-consuming. Yeah. And it yeah. is miserable and it's exhausting. So uh, to, yeah, to get, you do realize how much time you have on your, uh, on your hands, which in the beginning is dangerous. Right. If you don't have, yeah, if you don't have something to do. Yeah. At the, at the beginning, before I really started doing that, that's when I was doing the whole 90 and 90, you know, staying in meetings all the time, you know, and just kind of soaking up everybody else. But then I started to realize, you know, I have things that I want to do yeah, and when it's, the time's right, the time's right. I mean, yeah. as long as you're committed to it, you know, we kind of. What's important is I know where to go back. Like if I ever start, you know, feeling the itch or like start having problems, I know where I need to go. Um, and people say, play the tape. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's so true yeah. when you think about it. Because that's what we didn't do before. Right. I mean, all the deplorable things that I did. Yeah. And there would be a fraction of a second where we'd be like, this is a horrible decision. I'm about to make a potentially life-changing yeah. for somebody decision, which is bad news. But it was like a fraction of a second. Yeah. And it's out the window because I know what I got to do. But uh. So I, I was just visiting my buddy. Uh, he's the second episode. I was just at the prison this morning. That's um, such a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, you know, I'm telling him, like, I... I could be right where you're at. If things would have gone a little bit different that last day, um, I'd either be in prison or not here anymore because I don't know if I could live with myself if something happened to my daughter. Oh. You know, she's she's everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Uh, so do you still go to meetings? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Not as much. Yeah. Because you know, I'm trying to build guitars and right. do a documentary series. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's hard. So life's good. Life is really good. Um, I think my wife would say that too. Um, cause it's hard, man. It's, yeah. it's hard being in it. It's hard getting healthy and it's, you know, yeah. it's family and marriage and it's tough. So, yeah, I mean, getting, getting to a good point is it's, it's a great feeling. You talk about waking up in the morning. Right. Uh, I was just at a golf outing, three day golf outing and it was, um, 80 people. And I was one 
of 70, 79 other people that weren't, that, that were drinking. And <laughs> I used were, to they be. They were probably drinking responsibly though. Uh, some, some of them. Of them. <laughs> some of them. Yeah. I never understood But I used to people. be in the middle. Yeah. I used to be, I mean, I would be the one on top of the golf cart surfing, yeah. you know, I mean, so now <laughs> being around it and, you know, there was moments of, you know, resentment and stuff, but sorry, you were going to. You were going to say something. You I just never, people. I never understood the people. I could never get the people that would bring like a six pack to a party <laughs> or something like, really? Like, I, I still that... think that I saw a guy coming out of a store the other day with a four pack like, of like a craft beer. What I'm are like, you dude, do what with is that? the fucking point of that? <laughs> like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like people haven't, and you also realize how responsible people do drink. Right. I yeah. Went to parties this... and they're just sipping on it they and they had the same beer for like, you know, more than two minutes <laughs> yeah and they say let's go have a drink and they mean let's have a drink yeah and it just yeah. it doesn't register with me it sounds like the stupidest thing you've ever heard but it's just it's, it's a, how our it's minds a fact, work yeah, yeah we just don't have the stop button yeah and, and it's all right uh, so a big part of this show is um talking about stigma and so throughout the process of making these videos and even in your recovery however you want to talk about it um where, how have you seen, how have you seen stigma play a role? Oh man, um, that's a tough question. You can navigate it however you want. The people that you've interviewed, did you have to yank it out of them? Not with the people I started with. Um, but they're, you know, like I said, my inbox is full of people that aren't going to tell their story and they probably never will, but they, what do you mean by that? They have told me personally uh, in, in a direct message that they have an issue, um, but they're, they don't want to talk about it because of the stigma behind it, because of what, you know, what might happen what to them in happen. their career or, you know, you know, just like me, I kind of lost my position mm -hmm. because of what I was doing, um, whether or not it was a valid reason or not, but it, yeah. And that just shows you it, it is, it's a, it's I have a, more people that have messaged me than I have that told me their story in private that want to keep it that way, then are willing to tell their story. Yeah. If that gives you any idea. No, I mean, that's, it's, it's the truth. And I think, I, I think it's slowly coming around. We got a, I mean, we got a hard road to hoe, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, employers, I mean, they're being educated. I mean, and you can't just fire somebody these yeah. days. Right. Uh, and, and I may be speaking out of turn a little bit, but you know, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of fail safes in place that, that give you know, if you're willing, you know, I think there's some people out there that give you another chance and there's a bunch of, I'm hoping to have one of them on here, but I think there's like 50 or 60 second chance employers just in Cincinnati, Northern wow. Kentucky that, you know, because the felonies are the big problem. You know, if you've got some misdemeanors or you've done some stupid shit, people will still take you. But if you got a, you know, a big stigma as, you know, everybody's in jail, everybody gets right. arrested somebody comes out with a felony nobody wants to touch them right you know I mean, it's a dirty thing it's a yeah. liability is there gonna you know there's so many things that go through an employer's mind which when they don't understand it i get it but be becoming more and i think some of the big companies around here and with which there are a bunch are starting to work yeah. with people that you know will help you with the felony or it's not i don't want to say a big deal but but the stigma is all over the place um, but yeah, I, I, uh, you know, my friend that I did the, the episode on in prison, it's amazing 
how many people reached out to him after the video. Um, and I, I'm not really sure why they didn't before. Um, I don't know if it's because I asked them to reach out to him that they did. Well, people that he knew? Yeah. You know, okay. friend, friends of his. And, you know, they, they were, you know, they were afraid to reach out to him. Um, uh, I don't know if it's because they, I, I know I was afraid to reach out to sure. him because I didn't know Absolutely. what kind of place he was in. You know, you know, he's in prison for five years. Um, but yeah. You can be as tight with somebody as, as anybody can be. And it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing to handle. Yeah. You know, the, the person that, uh, there's a bunch of people, but the person that physically threw me against a wall and said, we got to get, I know what's going on. We got to get you help. That took courage. Yeah. You know, because you could just let it go and, and think that it might get better or be like, oh, poor. I mean, it's it's tough for a good friend to to step up like that. And then then when you get sober, they don't invite you to anything anymore because they think that that's not the right thing to do. Right. Even though that's the that's the worst thing to do. I can say no if I want, but you still I mean, right. I'm not I don't have. Right. You know, rabies or yeah. anything like that. But I mean, I, I can understand how that would be hard to approach somebody that's in jail and like, yeah, what's their mental state. And, but it's almost like, you know, somebody getting sick with a disease or cancer or something. It's, it's, you know, think the dynamic changes why I don't know, yeah. but it's hard to go. If you, if you put yourself in their shoes and think, you know, if I was in their situation, what would I want? And that, that's what I try to do, you know, and you know, people want to be connected still. I mean, think about how lonely he was. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure people have reached out that, that are watching your videos all over the world. I'm sure. Is he getting mail? And I'm, I'm he sure. Is, yeah. yeah. He's so, getting girlfriends, man. It's awesome. <laughs> that crazy how, you know, you have people in there that you hear the stories of people contact you and want to get married and stuff. <laughs> Has, or how, how's he? He's great. Is he? He's great. And he's really excited about it. And he's got, you know, he had some really crazy, you know, substance abuse uh, problems. Um, and I, I'm really pulling for him when he gets out, you know, and, and he knows that he can come to me and we can, you know, get him into meetings when he gets out and everything. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's obviously really excited to get out. Yeah. I don't want to ruin, I don't want to ruin the story, but so how can people find string of hope? And I mean, we'll put all this stuff all over the website and in the, in the podcast and stuff. Uh, Yeah. There's a couple different ways you can go on my guitar building site, which is fishercustominstruments.com. Um, and there's a separate page for a string of hope. You can find us on Facebook, which if you search a string of hope, our page will be one of the first ones that pops up. The actual tag on it is at one string of help, the number one, um, Somebody else had the a string of hopes. I'm gonna have to arm wrestle them. That's for, right. They want thirty five hundred bucks to get the domain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Facebook is a great way, and then you can find us on YouTube. Uh, my channel is Fisher Custom Instruments. So everything right now is kind of funneled through the Fisher Custom Instruments until we get the nonprofit kind of started up, and then it will become its own separate thing. So, so they can find you on Facebook under your name as well as Fisher Custom, yeah, Custom ben, Instruments. Yeah. If you find you ben know Fisher. Ben Fisher, yeah. You'll see me with my black Fisher Custom Instruments hat on. Yeah. That's, that's me. <laughs> yeah. Well, shout out to Ben Ertle for uh, who was a past uh, guest. Hey who's, Ben, who's gonna uh, who hooked us up, and I really enjoyed talking to you, man. I enjoyed spending some some time, and you got so much good stuff going. I wish you the best. I appreciate sure. you having me, man. 
Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.